Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Travel and Transformation Show with me, your host, Sophia. And today, my guest is a friend and a fellow globetrotter, aka globetrotting chick. <laughs> That's how you can find her if you want to follow her journey. And we will say that again later. That is her on Instagram. But her name, Radhika. 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 <laughs> I knew it. It's so interesting. Okay. I got to tell you guys, this is like the craziest thing. So we're talking before we even get started, right? And then I throw down into the universe. Uh, I'm going to mess the name up. And this is the power of your words, right? Your words are spells. You put things out into the universe and then they actually do come back to you. And I'm saying that on a serious note because it's a serious thing. I put it out there that I wasn't going to say her name right. And then I didn't say her name right. And yet it's such a beautiful name. So say it for me again. Radhika. Radhika. See, and I got it right like three times before we even started. So before we even get into this chat, this interview, I really want to say it again. Watch your words. Watch your words because you put things out And then you wonder, it's like, why are things working out this way? Right. It may be because you put that out into the universe and didn't even realize it because of the words you chose to use. So I know for some people that might be a little woo-woo, but that is me. And that is what I believe. And I did it and I caught myself doing it. So I really feel like I need to call myself out on that and make a point of it because now. I really need to watch my words, right? I need to watch what I put out there. (laughs) Sophia, just to add to that, I also want to say that the opposite applies as well. For example, if you do put out positive words out there and positivity and manifestation, a lot of that comes true. And that's part of my journey, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Exactly. So yeah, it's not just, it's not about negative. It's about words. And the meaning you give behind the words and the way you put them out there. So thank you for indulging me. I hope you got something out of just that little bit. But I've got to tell you, so this is really interesting. And this is one of the reasons why I love traveling so much because we met on a, I can't say by accident because it wasn't an accident, but we were both in Szechuan in Morocco. I saw her with her camera. She's taking pictures. I have my camera and it's like, oh, what are you shooting with? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. now we're comparing cameras. Then I realized that she's actually traveling on her own. And I was traveling solo, but not on my own, which, yeah, there's a difference because I was on a tour, but I was the only one on the tour. So I had a driver, a head guide in all my different locations. So, yes, traveling solo, but on a tour which was a really great experience, whereas she was traveling solo with herself. So let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about that. And what gave you the travel bug in the first place? So first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here because one of the first things that I love talking about is travel. That's my passion in life. And What gave me the travel bug, I was born in an army household, which means that my father was traveling all over the place. And this is back in India. So even as I was born, 
I was born in a different city from where he was working just by virtue of him being in the army. And at a very young age, we traveled all over the country. I actually spent a significant part of my childhood in Africa. So at the age of three, we moved to Nigeria. Mm. And a lot of my memories of my childhood are of Africa. It's also one of the reasons why I keep getting drawn back to Africa and I feel like it's my homeland. And then when we came back to India, we spent some time in Kashmir, which is now very difficult territory to get into because it's sort of on the border of Pakistan and India and there are political issues with it. But I've just always traveled my whole life. I've never known anything different. And when we settled down, it was in New Delhi, which is the capital of India. And I spent my teenage years over there. And by the age of 18, I was in love with the idea of coming to the U.S. and in the hopes of building a life for myself and not just following the track of getting married and having children, but I just really wanted to carve out a path for myself. And so, yeah, I came to the U.S. when I was 22 and life has never been the same ever since. So, yeah, I just got very, very intrigued by the world, the map, travels, and I've kind of created this journey for myself. So. Who was like a major influence in your life? Because you said your dad is the one who was moving. So is he kind of the influence in your life that said, okay, so he started me traveling and is he kind of the one who really supported your thoughts of travel and you wanting to travel? Yes, for sure. So my father, he is one of the most amazing men that I have ever met. He had courage and honor and the sense of adventure that I think has trickled down into who I am as well. So a huge part of my persona has to do with that sort of army background. And the reason I say army, it's because people who are in the armed forces, just they're a bit different. They have this courage, have this ability to just go forward, even though they're scared and there's fear. But They have a sense of courage. They have a sense of adventure. They want to go explore the world. They want to, you know, scale new territory. My father did all of that from the age of 16 onwards. And I definitely had that inside of me, but I didn't really come to realize it in full until I immigrated to the U.S., which was at the age of 22. So I still remember when I was 16 years old, I had this vision that I was just going to go to America and find myself. And I got on a plane when I was 22 years old, arrived in Dallas, Texas with two suitcases. And that's all I had. My parents bought me the airfare and I started a job where I basically started earning money, paid them back. And since then, I've been on my own. But I was also working as a travel therapist. So my profession is occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And okay. that allowed me to travel within the U.S. because I had a work visa. So I didn't really have the freedom to travel outside of the country as much. But I traveled all over America. And that sense of adventure was something that came from my father. And he always gave me wings to fly. He never stopped me. He always said, hey, that's great. What else are you going to do? So yes, he's probably one of the biggest influences in my life right till the very day that he passed away. 
which was a few years ago. And yeah, a friend of mine once asked me, and I have to share this with you. (laughs) A friend of mine once asked me that if you had to invite three people over for dinner, who would those three people be and why? And he said, don't tell me number one, because I know that's going to be your dad, obviously. (laughs) Who's number two? And I said, Barack Obama. (laughs) I love Barack Obama. And I would so love to just have him over for dinner. Of course, number three would be Michelle Obama. But my number one figure in my life is my father. He's just been so huge in my life. I love him. I honor him. And he's right up there with Barack Obama in my eyes. Nice. Yeah. So you have been to 141 countries and you want to hit 197. So we met in Morocco. Right. Tell me about what was going on and where you were headed after we met. Okay. So in order to answer that question, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. Of course, I shared the fact that I came to the U.S. when I was 22 years old. And I've pretty much been in America that entire time since 1996. And in 2020, just before the pandemic hit, actually, about, I would say, six months. So this would have been June 2019. Things just really started to fall apart in my life. And they fell apart in such a way that only the universe could have been involved. Mm -hmm. And I say that to you because you are kind of (laughs) woo-woo. And I am too. So things just really started to fall apart in my life. And I was forced to resign from a job of 15 years during that time. And I also started getting this impression And I don't know how to word this, but I basically started telling my dad, don't leave me. And if you leave me, then take me with you. Mm. And we have that conversation a lot. I got very weepy. I would call him all the time. I would tell him, dad, don't leave me. If you leave me, you just, you need to promise me that you're going to take me with you. And pretty soon thereafter, the pandemic broke out and Actually, this had happened during the pandemic. I'm sorry, I'm getting my dates wrong. But after I got my COVID shot, I went back home to India and I was in India for about three weeks and something prompted me to start interviewing my father, just like you're interviewing me. And I started the conversation saying, you know, Radhika, this is for you for a time when your dad's no longer with you and you need to hear this. So we're going to, record this interview for that purpose. And my father said that no matter what happens, no matter where I am, I'll always be watching over you, even if I'm up there. Weeks later, he was gone. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry for your loss because I know that's difficult. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it was COVID. So I know a lot of people lost their loved ones during COVID. It was just such a horrible time in our lives. But that was such an incredible experience for me because something somewhere must have aligned for me to have made that space, for me to have actually resigned from my position and gone back home to be with him. And I bought a one-way ticket to India, which is something I've never done. I actually had the space to be there, not only for my father, I was with him at the hospital and he 
even though it started as COVID, he eventually died due to medical negligence because he didn't get the treatment that he needed. I stayed by his side at the hospital. I actually collected his body thereafter and cremated him alone with no religious rituals or ceremonies or nothing because he was positive for COVID. And normally they wouldn't even give his body back, but they made an exception and, you know, performed military honors. And I then cremated him just saying one small prayer and lighting a match to his body. So the reason I talk about that was that it had a very profound impact on me. Not only was there such tremendous pain, but there was also some post-traumatic stress disorder. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was in so much pain that there was a lot of anger that came up for the way in which he passed because it was a huge shock for all of us. And I spent about five months in India thereafter taking care of all his legal issues and taking care of my mother and helping her transition into the life of being alone now. But during that time, I wasn't really able to take care of myself. I was only taking care of everybody else. I was doing what needed to be done and for my family and getting them all set up. So basically, after that happened, I decided that I was going to go spend six months in Africa. And like I told you, Africa has always been like a homeland to me. I spent my childhood there and... I just wanted to go disappear. I just, you know, didn't want to be around. And Africa was the one place where I felt I could go and really be with my pain and find myself over again and search for some of those answers that I was looking for. And I had come across a company that would do these overland trips. So even though you and I met when I was traveling solo, It wasn't entirely solo through Africa because what I did was I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And an overland trip allows you to basically live out of a backpack and sleep in a tent. Oh, wow. And that way I saved a lot of money by not sleeping in hotels. And I just bought a tent for myself. I had my backpack. I had a sleeping bag. And I spent about five months on the road with that and with this particular overlanding company, which overlanding used to be a pretty big thing back in the day, but it kind of went downhill with the pandemic for obvious reasons. It wouldn't right. sustain themselves. So I flew to Spain and from Madrid, there are pretty cheap flights to Morocco. So that part of it was solo. And I flew to Tangier and wanted to just kind of travel around the city. It's, Morocco is one of the most beautiful countries in North Africa, and I absolutely it love it. It is, um, and I wish I'd seen more of it. Well, and it's time too, right? Because within right. two and a half to three weeks, there's only so much you can do because exactly. it's a big place. Exactly. It's a big exactly. place. So yeah, I would definitely yeah. like to go back and see more. Yes, So I had actually started my travels along this journey. It was supposed to be from Morocco to South Africa. And I'm very proud to say that I actually completed it hard as it was. It was a very tough journey and it really challenged me in a lot of ways. And it helped me gain appreciation for my life all over again. But Morocco and 
Tangier was the start of it. And from there, I basically took a bus to Shafshaun, which is where we met. And I'd always wanted to go see the Blue City. And I just remember being there and falling in love all over again. It was actually my second time in Morocco, but I loved this city. I could see myself basically spending a month or two months just walking down those alleyways and taking pictures. And that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to live simply, live out of a bag, take pictures, see beauty, and find a meaning in life again. And that's really how it started for me. And how many of the countries did you end up doing on that particular journey versus coming back and then going other places and that type of thing? So on that particular journey, I traversed all of West Africa. And people who travel quite a bit know that West Africa is really, really difficult to travel through. Part of that is because there's really poor infrastructure. But the more important part of it is that West African countries make it really, really difficult to get a visa to travel through those countries. And when I joined the overland trip in Marrakesh, all we had was a driver and they were about 10 or 15 passengers. And when I say passengers, we were all just kind of loading onto the truck. And the way this journey worked was the driver was in charge of driving the truck and taking care of it if it broke down. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us were going to help with navigation, getting visas, finding good routes. So it was actually really a very adventurous journey where that's the word I was about to use. It sounds like an adventure. It was a huge adventure. Nothing was set in stone. You didn't know what you were driving into, so to say. And the unfortunate part was there were quite a few challenging personalities on this trip as well, which is what made it hard because instead of like really coming together as a team and working together, a lot of these personalities were just all about coming up with problems instead of coming up with solutions. Mm. And for me, that was personally really, really challenging. But regardless, we traveled all the way through West Africa, hitting all the countries. And I'm remembering the map in my head. So it would have been Morocco, Mauritania, Senegal, Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Cote d'Ivoire, We didn't end up going into Ghana because at that time, Ghana had closed its borders Mm. because of the pandemic. And this was an interesting point because some of the people who were on the truck bailed. They actually decided that they were going to leave the truck because we would have to go around Ghana, which meant going into Burkina Faso and coming into Togo and Benin that way. And Burkina Faso at the time was very dangerous. They had an army coup going on. Wasn't the most safe thing to do. But at the same time, what were you going to do? This was an adventure. You had to go where the truck went. So of course, I went with the truck. And that was phenomenal. Oh my God, I loved Burkina Faso. It was such a lovely country. And the fact that there weren't a lot of tourists there made it even more exciting. On our way out, we ended up getting stuck in Togo because Togo would not allow us to come in. And so we ended up spending about five days on the border. 
And when I say spending five days on the border, literally my tent and my sleeping bag camped out in front of the immigration office. If you can believe that. (laughs) It's hard for me to even picture that because I can't see me doing it. (laughs) Right. I couldn't see myself doing it either. But, you know, when you are actually in that position, what are you going to do? You have have to do. Exactly. exactly. You have to go with the flow. And that's the part of traveling through Africa that I love. There's no cookie cutter way of doing it. It's truly an adventure. And you just don't know what you're going to encounter until you're there. Right. So I think that's kind of travel anywhere. You have to learn to go with the flow because Mm -hmm. the best laid plans Right. Don't always work out. Yeah, I have to say on my last trip, I learned the word surrender. Yes. (laughs) And that's one of my words for 2024 is surrender. Because I understand that I can't control everything. And, you know, some people would say, and I'm not like I'm not going to agree. I'm a control freak. Have been like almost all my life growing up. Yeah. And a perfectionist. And now I'm recovering right. from both of those things, right? Right. Recognizing that no, things will not be perfect. And right. no, you can't control every aspect of everything. Yeah. So I think travel can really teach you that and teach you about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, what are the limits that I can go to? Right. Where am I going to be able to let go? Right. How can I move through this with grace and minimal freak out? (laughs) And I love that you brought that up. To be honest with you, I am also recovering from perfectionism and trying to control everything so that the chips fall where you want them to fall. But one of the things that I will say is I think for women, because we are vulnerable physically, And of course, emotionally vulnerable as well, but very obviously physically vulnerable when we travel. There's a certain level of inherent fear that comes with it. And I think men don't even realize that because men don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. But because there is that inherent level of just needing to protect your body, I think we tend to try and control things a little more because then we feel safe. Yes. I can control where I'm going to end up tonight or how I'm going to be, then I'll feel a little safer. Yes, I agree. And that's a huge challenge for us women who want to travel and who do end up getting, you know, um, harassed in a lot of ways. I think it's hard to completely surrender. Right. As you say, but I love the idea of that. Yeah, I mean, because... I think one of the things to recognize that a lot of people who travel, well, I can't say a lot of people who don't travel regularly Mm -hmm. is that you have to understand the customs of the country that you're going into. Exactly. And as much as you can adhere to the customs, because in doing so, it can actually keep you safer Exactly. if you walk in expecting everything to be exactly as you know it where you live. You are 100% right. In fact, just recently, I came across a situation. I had hiked Machu Picchu 
as part of my 50th birthday celebration. (laughs) And on my way back on the train was a young European girl who was traveling by herself in Peru, which is normally a very safe country. Peru and most of South America is pretty safe. They kind of leave you alone. But she was wearing short shorts, short shorts, (laughs) a tank top. And she was complaining about the fact that she was getting a lot of unwanted male attention. And I did say, I said, well, have you taken a look at the local women? Do you see a lot of the local women wearing shorts or sleeveless tops or tank tops? And Peruvian women don't. They're covered up. They wear pants, they wear shirts, but they're all covered up. Every Their sleeves are covered up. Your legs are covered up. And I said, if you follow the customs of the natives and how they dress, chances are the men will leave you alone. I agree because I went to Peru, didn't went to Machu Picchu, did not hike to Machu Picchu because I was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) So stayed in Aguas Caliente, took the bus up to Machu Picchu and spent the day over there. Right. But that was lovely, too, because they have all the different levels of the natural springs. Yes, so that yes. was beautiful to do and took the train up from Cusco. And right. you're absolutely right, because I did wear shorts, but my shorts were longer. I wore right. a lot of capris right? and my tops that I wore were cap sleeves or whatever. Right. Or short sleeves. Cause it's right. <laughs> but yes. it's yeah. one of those things, though, it's like you're saying, and, and this isn't like, oh, let's, you know, blame the victim. It's like, it's not like that. But Mm. you have to understand that even a lot of places in the States, you walk out in booty shorts and the tank top or you have your midriff out and you're showing all your girls, you're going to get attention. So if you're not looking for attention and again, not making it right that certain men feel like they have the authority or Mm. should be able to harass women, because no. Just know, <laughs> you know, and men and women, depending on, you know, which way you lean, have to understand that no means no and just leave it at that. Right. right? But right. at the same time, again, when you're somewhere else, you cover. It's like in Egypt, when I was going, they do allow you to go into certain mosques, but you have to cover your head, right. you have to cover your shoulders, and your legs should be covered. Right. But I did my research. I knew that ahead of time. Right. So I had my headscarf. Right. I wore my pants. I made sure that I had something that could cover my top part. So it's really about, again, recognizing the culture, respecting the culture, and yeah. just not expecting things to be exactly as you know them at home. Right. I agree. And I also feel the whole point of travel is to experience something different. It's Mm -hmm. cultural diversity. I mean, if it were totally the same, what fun would that be? Right. So a lot of my belief systems come from the fact that I want to experience the variety and respect it, you know, and that's really, really important to me because I am from India. And in India, it's frowned upon to show your body in a way that's somewhat risky even though a sari is, can be very risque because we show our midriff. But that's appropriate in that culture. So if you want to wear a sari in that culture and show your midriff, that'd be totally fine. Shorts and tank tops are not. But it also depends on where you're at. But yeah, I definitely agree with you that 
respect the culture. And, you know, in your country, for sure, they may do things differently, but that doesn't mean it's okay or it's welcome in a foreign country. Right. And again, like you were saying, as a woman, I'm going to speak for myself. I can't speak for all women. But for me, I am always aware of my surroundings because I do want to keep my body safe. Yes, absolutely. I want my person needs to be safe. Absolutely. Right. So even when I was in Morocco, I went to Casablanca and then I was in Casablanca completely solo. And, you know, I went to the market and 10,000 different alleys. And again, something else I'm putting into the universe that I probably shouldn't, but I have so much evidence of it that it's hard not to. I'm not very good with direction. Right. right? So one alley just looked like the next alley. And I'm like, I don't know how I got here. Yeah. But I was determined, even though I was lost, there's no get out. I was like, I am going to walk with purpose. Right, right. <laughs> like I know right. where I'm going. <laughs> exactly. And that is so important because that will make people go, oh, she knows what she's doing. There are chances that they're going to leave you alone. But if you kind of look lost, people feed on that. So yeah. I completely agree with you. And, you know, because we're talking about female safety and you did ask me about solo travel, I had actually spent about five days in Khartoum in Sudan alone, traveling mm-hmm. solo. And again, when we hear the word Sudan, we're like, oh, my God, don't go there. That's crazy. I actually had a wonderful experience, but I was completely covered up. I always keep a scarf with me. So my head's covered, wear long pants, long sleeves, no matter how hot it is. I would rather have my body completely protected because I don't want to give anybody the chance to approach me or look at me differently. And the one thing that I like to do is I always carry a small little day pack or whatever, my purse or whatever, and I carry it right here on my chest. Mm. And because I carry it on my chest, A, that protects my chest area from any untoward grabbing or whatever men can or will do. And it keeps my personal belongings safe. So if you have it on your back, then there's more of a chance of it just being snatched off. Mm-hmm. But if you have it in front of you protecting your chest, then it serves a twofold purpose. You're protecting your belongings and your physical chest as well. And it's harder for them to just pull it off. That is yeah. a very great tip. And then just like you said, walk with purpose. I tend to always study the map. Whenever I get to a new city, I'll study the map for about a half hour, get my bearings. I always use the map feature on my phone. In fact, there's an app called Maps Me which works even if you don't have internet connection. So download the map of a city, then you can look at it even if you don't have an internet connection. So that works really well. And that's pretty much what I used throughout West Africa. And just get your bearings, know where you're going. If you're unsure, I actually tend to ask women. So I will approach women and ask them for directions. If I feel comfortable enough with a man, then I'll you know, talk to men as well. In fact, in Khartoum, I ended up meeting a gentleman who I still keep in touch with. And we just met in a park and he was just such a wonderful person. He had a lot of different contacts in the city and in the government. And he was just wonderful. And I still keep in touch with him. So just a little tidbit on female safety when you're traveling solo. Right. And I tend to agree. 
And it also depends on the country that I'm in too, who I approach when I need directions or something. Right. Because again, like a lot of men, when you come and ask a question like that or any question, they're right. kind of in protect mode, provide and protect mode. Sure. Yeah. So they're like, yes, I can help you. Yes. Let me tell you, sure. <laughs> you know? And so that works out really well when that happens. So yeah, it's really, I guess the best thing to say, read the room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, read the room. So if you right. feel okay, you feel safe, ask anybody who might be able to help you, mm-hmm. right? If you're not feeling 100%, don't ask. Because I know when I got lost in Paris, I was walking through a neighborhood and I was like, I saw a lot of different guys and I wasn't feeling like this is a good thing to do. Right. right. So again, I start to pray, right? I would not call myself a truly religious, religious person. I believe in God and many other things, whether it's my angels I'm asking, you know, walk with me, help me out here, or it's God or whatever. I'm usually putting something out. So I remember with that particular time, I'm walking us like, look, I need help right now. So can you help me out, please? And right as I said that, this young lady turned the corner and I was able to ask her for directions. She had a smartphone and this was like before everybody had a smartphone. Right. So right. she pulls up the directions and she's speaking French, but yeah, she's like showing me stuff and I'm getting it. Until I got to a point where I wasn't getting it. And I was like, oh, I don't remember which way she said to turn. But then, you know, I got to another spot where I was like, oh, I can ask somebody here. And turns out I was like really close to my hotel. And Mm -hmm. one of the other things that I always do is if the hotel has a business card, I will always take the business card with me. Great tip. That's a great tip. If I can't speak the language, I can always show them the card. Right. And whether person, taxi, whatever can help me get back to where I need to be. Absolutely. One thing I will say is that a lot of this comes with experience. So I find that younger girls who travel, especially when they're in their 20s, tend to trust more easily. And I would definitely caution them from that. I did some pretty stupid things when I was in my 20s and I was traveling around and Now, when I look back and think about that, I'm like, oh, my God, thank God I survived. But, (laughs) you know, it's youth. With youth, you tend to take more risks and be a little just, you know, fly by the handle kind of person. But as you grow older and you gain some experience, I think it becomes easier to read people and know and intuitively know when you're safe or when you're not. So I would definitely caution young women to take the side of caution and be a little more careful so that you don't get into a sticky spot, especially in certain cultures like, you know, the Middle Eastern culture, men are very, very chauvinistic and kind of aggressive. Indian culture can be like that as well. Asian culture where you just, you want to be a little more demure, a little more protected because they tend to respect that. And that's interesting because I guess I just have, I don't know, I don't know how it really came to be, but just kind of maybe a little level of paranoia, Mm -hmm. um, especially when I travel by myself, because and I'm like, if anything were to happen to me, and this is like, since I started traveling on my own, I was like, if anything were to happen to me, nobody knows to look for me until X date, because that's when they're expecting me home. Right. So I've always been super cautious. 
because yeah. that's always been in my head. Yeah. You know, other people like, oh, I'm on vacation. And it's like, oh, whatever. No. And then things that I wouldn't do at home, right. I don't do on vacation. True. Very true. You I know, agree. so if I wouldn't go out to a bar and drink until I don't know my name right. at home, I'm not going to do that on vacation. So one of the things for me is that I don't believe vacation gives you a free pass to do things that, yes, you want to experience different things, but I don't think it gives you a free pass to do things that you normally wouldn't do at home because you wouldn't find them safe. Right. Now, if you would do it at home and you do it somewhere else, well, then you're just being who you are, right? Right, right. But I don't think you take things to the extreme, especially in a foreign country. But again, that's just me. Right. <laughs> in my level of caution. And that makes me think of the fact that one rule of thumb that I have is if I'm in a country that's a little less well-traveled, for example, a lot of the countries in Africa, I do not go out alone in the dark. Mm, yes, so if definitely. it's dark out and I have a friend with me or a male friend or whatever, then yes, I would feel comfortable. But alone, I do not go out after it's dark. The other thing that I do tend to carry with me is a whistle. So I always have a little whistle or like an alarm. They actually sell those on Amazon where you could just push the buzzer and it yep. just sets off an alarm. I have one. So, <laughs> right. So that is a safe way for women to just call for attention if they're in a sticky spot. And I completely agree with you. Don't do anything that you wouldn't do at home, basically. So tell us what's next for you. So yeah, I'm super excited. I'm actually planning a backpacking trip through Central Asia. But one of my favorite countries is Iran because of the Persian culture, not only Persian culture, but the history and just the richness of that culture. And I've been trying to go to Iran for about six years now. It's been very challenging because of political things that have happened. And right. I actually... I was about to go to Iran about six years ago and they put a ban on Americans traveling to Iran. So that kind of nixed it for me. But yeah, I'm on my way to Iran, hopefully in March. I've applied for my visa. The interesting thing about some of these countries is as American citizens, you cannot travel solo. Iran happens to be one of them. And you have to be with a guided tour at all times. You cannot be alone or you could potentially get arrested. Oh, wow. Yeah. So much as I would love to spend more time in that country and travel alone, we're not allowed to. So I'm going with a company that's basically handling my visa for me and I'll be paying them. I think it's probably around $1,600 to $2,000, which is very reasonable for a two-week trip through Iran. So I'm super excited about that. And then from Tehran, I am hoping to fly to Dushanbe, which is the capital of Tajikistan. And from there, I want to travel through the Pamir Highway, which is, again, this gorgeous setting in, in nature. And people have posted beautiful pictures of that area. And I'm just super excited about that. So that part of it will be solo. My hope is once I get there, I'm going to be able to find maybe some local guide or like a taxi driver who'd be willing to take me to the border. And I want to try and cross into Afghanistan through the Tajikistan border, which is one of the only borders where you can actually get a visa on arrival oh, for Afghanistan. Okay. 
-hmm. Otherwise, you have to go to either Dubai or Pakistan to get a Afghanistan visa. So I've kind of got all these ideas in my head. I haven't really figured out how this is going to work out. But, you know, coming back to what you put out there in the universe, one thing that I wanted to say is my travels are absolutely sacred. And so I don't allow any kind of negative thought when it comes to planning my travels and including words, like not having the doubt that it's not going to work out or not feeling like, oh, what am I going to do if? No, I know that this will work out. Right. I know that I'll be able to get to Deshaun Bay and I'll be able to find the right people to get me to the border and hopefully be able to go see Wakan, which is another part of very politically and highly controlled and really difficult to travel through, then possibly enter into Afghanistan and go to Kabul. And I follow a lot of travelers on Instagram, on Facebook. So I keep getting all this information. I keep reading about it. I talk to friends who have done these kind of travels. And that's what gives me the impetus and the chutzpah to actually do some of this stuff. And from Afghanistan, I'm hoping that I may be able to go to Pakistan. Not entirely sure how that's going to work out because I was born in India and India and Pakistan have a tenuous relationship. So I'm not entirely sure if I would be able to get a visa to Pakistan. But again, putting it out there in the universe that my hope is that I do. Right. Hope is that I have a really good experience and I can travel through Pakistan and hopefully cross over into India. So this would be an incredible journey. And as you can tell, I'm so excited about it. Yes. <laughs> you guys, I can see her excitement, but I'm hoping you can hear the excitement in oh her my voice. Gosh. <laughs> so like, how long are you going for? Well, since everything is so up in the air, and that happens with solo travel because there is no set duration and I'm kind of planning maybe six weeks, but I don't entirely know how this is going to work out. So I've got this vague idea in my head of the route I want to take, but so much of it depends on whether I get the visa, whether I find somebody to take me to the border. You know, a lot of it is unknown right now. And the first step is for me to get my Iranian visa, which I'm waiting for. It's been a month already. And I keep checking in as to when am I going to get it. But once I have that in my hand, then I'll actually be able to book the flights and plan travel because the other stuff is more visa on arrival type of situations. Mm -hmm. So that might give me a little more flexibility, but Iran has to be set in stone. Like I can't just arrive and show up and ask for a visa. Right. You're bringing up a good point. So when you're going to get a visa, Look at the country that you're going to and then apply for your visa well in advance mm -hmm. because you don't know. They can give you a time frame, but you don't know right. exactly how long it's going to take. So if you have dates when you have to travel, because, you know, everybody doesn't have that level of flexibility. Absolutely. If you have dates that you need to travel. Make sure that well in advance you're applying for your visa, because most of the time when you're applying for a visa, you have to send in your passport in order Correct. for them to stamp the passport, do the things and all Correct. the whatevers, and then get it back. Right. And then travel. It's not like, oh, I'm just waiting for a piece of paper to show up. No, no. A lot of times you have to give up your passport 
and wait on it. So just let that be another tip. When you're applying for a visa, apply well in advance of your travel date so that you know you'll have it. Or, God forbid, if it gets denied for any reason, you have enough time to get whatever it is that they are asking for. So there's that part. And just to add to that, people might want to be mindful of the fact that certain countries give out a visa for a certain period of validity. So for example, Nigeria is one of these countries and that happened to me while I was traveling through Africa. We applied for a Nigerian visa well in advance, not realizing that the validity of that visa was only one month. And when we got closer, we realized that that would actually not work. So we had to apply for a second Nigerian visa, which was very expensive and kind of, a you know, if we had known that it would only be valid for that certain period of time, we wouldn't have done it the first time. So, I mean, the, the big thing to do is make sure you go to the embassy's website, read all the rules, read everything, know what you're looking at. I personally do not like to make travel plans unless I have a visa in hand, because nowadays a lot of airlines will not give you a refund and then you've just lost your money. Right. There's so many things to look at, which is why for some people, it's in your best interest maybe to, if you're not that diligent, to use a travel agent, travel consultant, Yeah. you know, somebody like that who can research that for you, give you that information and maybe even help you with it. So, you know, that's just something else to put out there. But here's the thing. I just wanted to say that I think you are so courageous because people called me courageous for traveling solo, but I don't travel solo like you travel solo. I have a plan, girl. (laughs) Even if I can't control what's happening on the ground, I got a plan. Like I'm going from point A to point B to point C, right. it's going to look like this. You're right. like, well, I'm thinking about going here and I could stay longer here. So kudos to you for that because that's Thank like you. a whole other level. Thank and you. The other thing I want to bring up is that you are creating life your way. And that is, that's a motto. That's the name of my company. That's what I believe in. That's what I coach on. Right. Is creating life your way. Yeah, right? absolutely. And really living a fulfilling life instead of feeling a void in your life. True. Which is so completely different. And I, it sounds to me like you are living a fulfilling life. Definitely working on that. So after my father passed away and I spent that good six months in Africa, I was able to come to a space of just I could feel the ground under my feet again. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me two years since to actually come to a space again where I am creating life on my own terms. And now I'm beginning to feel that joy and that happiness of like, oh my God, I love travel and I love talking about it. And I want to share this with other people. And I want to tell them all the things that I've learned. And that's the other thing I want to say is if any of your listeners have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to me. I am on Instagram as Globetrotting Chick. It's actually, it's one word, but it's C-H-I-C. And send me a message. I'd be happy to respond to you and show you the ropes or give you any kind of advice based on what I have learned through my travels. Because to me, we live in such a beautiful world. This 
globe, this planet is so incredibly beautiful. And that's why I travel because I want to see the beauty in it and not the ugliness that war brings and the things the political people bring. And that's not what human life is about. We're all the same. We're all connected. We're different in certain ways, but underneath the skin, we're all the same. And we have the same emotions. I so agree with that. I'm like hands on heart because I am so in tune with what you're saying, you know, because I believe that we are more the same than we are different. We need to celebrate our differences because there are some, Yeah, but we are more the same than we are different and we are all connected no matter what. We are all connected. And Ooh, I just you know, got goosebumps. <laughs> and it's when we see things and you go in with the curiosity, you see the beauty of the place. And yeah, you might see some things that aren't great, but guess what? Everywhere there are things that aren't great, right? right. Because sometimes I hear people come back and it's like, oh, I went to this place and it was a poverty. It's like, have you gone downtown LA? Yeah, yeah. You know, everywhere you go, you yes. can see that if that is what you choose to look at. I that is what you choose agree. to look for. Yes. But if you look beyond that, you look sometimes beyond the human condition that's right in front of you, then you're able to see the beauty. Yes. Right? You can right. see the beauty in somebody's eyes. You can see the beauty yeah. in a landscape. You can yeah. see, like you can just see the beauty of a place. Yes. You're so right. In fact, That is the core principle for me when I travel. I look for beauty in everything. It doesn't matter where I am. I am looking for beauty. It could be in the smile of a person who has crooked teeth, but I am looking for beauty. Yeah. And I think you find what you look for. Yeah. Right. So if you're looking for the beauty, you're going to find beauty in whatever it is or wherever you are. Yeah. So I just really wanted to thank you again for being here with me today, because honestly, just talking to you about a lot of that stuff has just brought up so much joy in me and so much reminders of the passion that I do have for traveling. So thank you. Thank you. Thank oh, you, my thank gosh. You. Thank you so much. And thank you to all your listeners who are going to be hearing this conversation. I have enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. You're welcome. All right, then. We'll talk again because I want to hear about your next adventure. 